Hey, New Life Church, thanks for listening in. Pastor Bronson here. We are kicking into our family series, y'all. We believe in the family of the local church, and we believe it has enormous implications for your family, for your friendships, and all those things. So we pray that this message blesses you and helps you on your journey. All right, good morning. How is everyone? All right, we're going to try this. I'm going to say he is risen, and y'all are going to say what? He's risen indeed. He is risen. Amen. Uh, my name is Bronson Duke. I'm, I'm one of the leaders and one of the pastors here. And y'all, I'm so excited to be with you on Easter Sunday. Uh, th- this is the highlight of our year. Amen. This is the height of the Christian calendar, and we as a church have been on an approach to Easter. We've been preparing our hearts for Easter for a couple of months now, and we we took some time, and and if you missed it, that's okay. You can go back and look at the podcast, but we talked about who is Jesus, right? If we're going to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's important that we know who he is, amen? And so we looked at Jesus in in three primary offices that, that he functioned in. He functioned as a priest, as a prophet, and as a king, right? And we see these offices throughout the scripture, but Jesus perfectly fulfilled each office, okay? I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to give you any more. If you want more, I preached on it a couple, a couple months ago. Go back, listen to it. Uh, we looked at Jesus coming into the temple and, and turning over tables, right? You all familiar with that story? And what he's doing is, is he's coming in and he's confronting the idolatry of our hearts, Come on, if we can be honest in here, who, who knows that we have idols that we build up in our hearts? The better the thing, the, the more likely it is to become an idol for us, right? And so that could be our jobs. Listen, it could even become our children, right? What we talked about is anything that we store up hope in that's not eternal, that's not God, it will let us down. Anybody in here have their children let them down? Don't raise your hands too high, Okay. And then we talked about his triumphant entry, his triumphal entry. He, he came in, and he came in as a conquering and humble king. What? Right? He was humble. For those of us who need to become more humble, Jesus can be humble for us. Amen? He was brave. For those of us who are afraid and often, may I say it, cowardly, Jesus can make us brave. Amen? And then this past uh, Friday, a couple days ago, we, we, we looked at Good Friday. And we looked at how Jesus suffered physically, and he also suffered emotionally so that we could come and be covered totally. Amen? And so, again, there's a podcast. You can go back and look at that. Today, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus, and, and we're going to look at uh, through a, a little bit different lens. So bear with me. Can y'all, y'all bear with me? Y'all look like gracious people, okay? So I think you're going to be gracious with me as, as we go through this. But, but here's my thesis this morning. If you're taking notes, I talked about it a few weeks ago. When you get to heaven, God's going to say, how are you going to get in? He's going to say, let me see your notes from church, okay? Uh, <laughs> I'm partially joking. Okay, um, here, here's my thesis if you're taking notes. There can be no experienced resurrection without joining in the crucifixion. There can be no resurrection if there's no crucifixion. And, and my title for this morning is this, Learning to Trust Again. Uh, We're going to look at John chapter 3. Go with me in your Bibles. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Uh, It's going to be on the screens, and and Carly's going to read our text for this morning. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, that it's effective. God, it speaks directly to our hearts. And so, God, this morning, we just take this moment. We open our hearts to you. We ask that you'd speak to us, God, that you'd be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Is anybody in here into personality tests? Come on, show of hands. Where are my personality test people at? Uh, Myers-Briggs, anybody like that test? Come on. Myers-Briggs, the DISC test. Where are my DISC, where are God's people at? Okay, my DISC test people. What about Enneagram? If you're not sure if, if your friend's into the Enneagram, uh, <clears throat> don't worry, they're like CrossFit people. You don't have to ask, they'll tell you, okay? <laughs> they'll, they'll post to their Instagram, they'll be like, I'm a nine, so I don't like confrontation, right? Here's my type. I'm a seven, so I'm not going to commit to anything ever. Don't expect that from me. That's not who I am. I'm an eight, so you better get out of my way, right? Yo, I, I, don't, pers- I don't trust anything that tries to box me in, right? That's just my personality. Every time I take the test, I'm like, nah, like I'm, I'm out on all that stuff, which tells you something about me and my personality, right? Uh, I, I like the DISC test, and we had our team here at the church take it, and it talks about our, our communication styles. Uh, in my personality, I like bullet points, right? I like bullet points. Don't give me a novel. Just, like, get to it, okay? Uh, it talks about the type of work we like. I like the big picture vision. If you put me down in the details, everything is going to fall apart. Uh, it talks about our core fears, okay? So I'm going to be vulnerable with you all this morning. Can I be vulnerable in church? Okay. Um, my core fear, it says, is, is being taken advantage of. And so when I first read that, I'm like, nah, that's not me. You know, that's, that, I, I, that's wrong. It's right about some other things, but it's wrong. And so I, I didn't agree at first, but then I went to the gas station. Does any, anybody else do this? Like when the, when the pump asks you uh, if you want your receipt, does anybody else take it? Because you're like, if I don't take my receipt, you might overcharge me or give me less gas than you promised. Talk about trust issues, right? So I realize I'm like, when I do that, I'm like, this is insane. Like, okay, I'm afraid the gas pump is going to take advantage of me. Okay, I, I, I think 
they got me right. It's a core fear. I don't trust it. I don't trust you, Phyllis, right? Like, that, that's something that I struggle with. Y'all, the gas pump, it, it's weird, right? I'll admit it, but it's not that big of a deal. But what if I treated other areas of my life where I needed to trust like this, right? Like, with mechanics. Like, what, what if my fear that they're trying to get one over on me, which they probably are, kept me from letting anybody work on my car, it would probably fall apart, right? What about doctors? What about fear that they're underqualified, like Dr. Death podcast? Anybody watch that? Okay, I don't recommend it. You'll never want to go to the doctor again. But if you don't trust doctors, what happens? Your body falls apart. Teachers fear they don't know what they're talking about, so we don't take their instructions. Our minds fall apart. But what about God? What if we claim to trust him but we don't trust the ways he tells us to live. Our life falls apart. The fabric of our being doesn't become what it should be. Like, I say yes to Jesus. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I say yes to Jesus. I believe in you, but I don't want to know how you think I should live. You know, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we live in this place. It's like we say we trust you, Jesus, but do we really trust him? That's a question I want to ask you this morning. Look at this quote from Dallas Willard. He said this. He says, being unwilling to follow him, that's Jesus, our claim of trusting him must ring hollow. We could never credibly claim to trust a doctor, a teacher, an auto mechanic whose directions we would not follow. I know what you're thinking. This is Easter. Get off of me. Okay, go, go back to the resurrection. We're going to get there. We're, we're going to look at how all this connects. But, but do we trust him? This is my question. Do we actually trust him if we're not willing to follow? Like, have we been transformed by him? Have we been changed? Or has just our eternal destination been changed? Okay, that, that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to unpack this. We're going to look at our text. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the man. We're going to look at how we relate to the man. We're going to look at the offer from Jesus and how we relate to the offer. And then lastly, we're going to look at the gift and how we relate to the gift. So number one, the man. He's religious, but he's not transformed. Let's look at this. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. One dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus, and he said, Rabbi, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Okay, we're going to come back to this in a, in a second. I, I wonder if this has happened in anybody else's family. Uh, Callie, my, this is my wife, she will ask me for things, right? Like, like she'll ask me for her cell phone, and I'll hand her the remote. Anybody do this? Wives, raise your hand. Tell on your husbands, right? You ask, is it just me? Okay, well, she'll ask for me for a cup of coffee. Literally, I've done this. She'll ask for a cup of coffee, and I'll bring back a phone charger, right? She'll ask for the diaper bag, and I'll, like, bring her a hammer, okay? We're having conversation. Like, I'm physically present, but I'm not on the same wavelength as her, right? We are not in the same conversation. This is the exact same thing that's happening with Nicodemus. They're on two different wavelengths. So let's look at this. He's coming to Jesus under the cover of darkness, and he's asking a question without asking a question. He says, I can see that you're from God. Here's what he's asking. He says, I think I know who you are. I think I know what you've come to do, but you tell me. He says, we can see you do amazing things, but are you the Messiah? Okay, a little bit about Pharisees. This will help us understand. The Pharisees had a moralistic, everybody say moralistic. 
they had a moralistic approach to God. What does this mean? They believed that the kingdom of God would come through moral living, right? And so through perfect adherence to the law. So they were obsessed with perfectly following the law. So imagine this. You're cooking, okay? And it's like 10, you know, sprinkles of pepper for me, one sprinkle for Jesus, okay? It sounds like a joke, but that's what they were doing. They were literally tithing off of their spices. They were so worried that they were going to miss the kingdom of God. They were getting into those small details. They had a totally moralistic lens on life. And here's what he's saying. Are you the promised Messiah? Is the kingdom coming? Have, Have you come to restore the glory of Israel, what we used to be under King David? Have you come to make us into a great nation, God's chosen people? Have you come to lead us and save us and deliver us from Roman rule and oppression and restore us back to once what we once were? Y'all, this is the question Nicodemus is asking. Okay, so just think about this. And Jesus says, those who are seeing my kingdom must be born again. It's like, what the heck, Jesus? That is not the question I'm asking. That is not the conversation we're having. It's bizarre from Nicodemus' perspective. Why would he ask that question? What is Jesus getting at? Here's what I believe is happening. Jesus is cutting right to the core of his cultural bias. Okay? He's cutting to his cultural bias that's keeping him from perceiving what God's trying to do in his life. Right? Nicodemus believes that Jesus is sent by God. He believes, but he doesn't perceive. He hears, but he doesn't understand. They're having two different conversations. Uh, I read this today or this week. Uh, Craig Keener in his commentary on John said this. He said, Jerusalem's leaders and others often understand Jesus partially correctly. Now lean into this quote. Look at what it says, but only on a purely physical level. Think about this in our cultural moment. Their pre-understanding of what Jesus should mean makes it impossible for them to truly hear him. Usually they misunderstand Jesus by interpreting him solely within the framework of their own cultural expectations. They had earthly hope, but they had no eternal hope. We have eternal hope in the South, right? Who's heard this? If you want to not go to hell and believe in Jesus, raise your hand and you'll go to heaven when you die, right? Come on. Anybody heard that before? Anybody go to church camp ever, right? That's that's the offer. That's what we've heard. We have eternal hope, but here's the problem. We don't have earthly hope for a lot of us. We have eternal hope, but we don't have earthly hope. Let's look at this. I, I want to share with my life. This is my story to a T. I got saved in 2001 at Covenant Youth Camp, at Covenant College, at the Edge Youth Camp, right outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And and that was the offer for me. Like, raise your hand, believe in Jesus, go to heaven when you die. And it lasted about two days, right? And I went back to doing exactly how I was living before. I was taking advantage of people. I was partying. I was lying to everyone, right? And I was just an all-around terrible person. I was. Like, I was not changed. I'm being transparent with you. I was not changed at all. But if you had asked me, had I received the power of the resurrection, right? Okay, that's a really churchy way of saying. Had I gotten saved, was I born again? I would have said, yes, thank you, Jesus, right? 
But I wasn't changed. I wasn't transformed. I was the exact same person I was before. Here's the problem. I didn't trust Jesus. I just liked this faraway idea that when I died, I would go somewhere nice, right? This is not the gospel according to Peter. This is not the gospel according to Paul. This is not the gospel according to Jesus. This is the gospel according to Plutarch, right? This is Greek philosophy that, that we've bought into, that like when we die, we go to some disembodied state and we wear diapers and we shoot arrows, right? And come on, let's think about it. How does this play out? How often have you talked to somebody and they're like, I don't know what heaven's going to be like when we're up there in the clouds with Jesus, you know, but can't wait to get there. It sounds better than here, right? It's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is a restored earth, new heavens, new earth, Jesus reigning as king. It's so much better than what we've been sold how is life according to our terms going? Real question for you. For me, life on my terms brought death. It brought destruction to me and everyone around me. But when I met Jesus, truly, about five or six years later, it transformed everything about me. The first time, listen, I want you to catch this. I believed in Jesus here, right, in my head. But it didn't touch me here. It didn't touch my heart. It didn't touch my affections. It didn't touch my desires. It didn't touch my aim in life. Now, here's Nicodemus. Okay, let me, let's, let's look at this philosophically. What am I talking about? I'm talking about moral relativism, right? <laughs> it's basically, I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want to do. But if I just say I believe in Jesus, then my destination is secured. Is that really the hope of the gospel? That's our question for this morning. I would submit to you, it's so much better. We're going to dig into this. Now, let's look at Nicodemus. He's the total opposite. He's a moralist. I was a relativist. He's a moralist. But here's what we see in the text. According to Jesus, we both have the exact same need, right? He had religious standing. He had social standing. He had political standing. He even seemingly had moral standing. But according to Jesus, it still wasn't enough. He had belief. He can see he's from God. He thinks he's the Messiah, but he had the same problem I had. I wonder if any of us in this place right now would say, you know what? As I've been going through life, I've perhaps, I just want you to consider perhaps, I've been on a different wavelength from God. Like Callie asked me for yogurt and she got a hammer, right? What if Jesus is asking for something so much greater, something so much more, and offering so much more life? than what he thought he was. Okay, number one, the man. Number two, the offer. Let's look at this. The offer from Jesus is a brand new life. John 3, 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Okay, question. What does it mean to be born again? <laughs> right? This is an important question at Easter, right? Something that we need to consider. What does it make you think of? It makes us all think of different things, right? Maybe you think about like super emotional people who are like doing the funky chicken and, and pew jumping at church, right? Like maybe that born again, you know? Maybe you think about people who are so broken and so desperate, so addicted, their life is a wreck, they need to be born again. I think about like a 1970s Jesus freak biker who's like, you want to be born again, brother? I'm like, Not really, you know? Not really, you know? 
Listen, Nicodemus is none of these things. He's not a weirdo religious person. He's not a shattered person. He's not some crazy biker. No offense if you're a biker. I love bikers. You're welcome here. Welcome home. He's by all of our current social measures an amazing person. He's successful. He's powerful. He's political. He's stable. And Jesus says none of this is enough. He says you need to be born of the water and spirit. What does that mean, Jesus? Right? He's drawing two illusions here with similar language. He's saying you need to be reborn with the life of heaven. He's saying you need to start over. Listen, when somebody converted to Judaism, they were baptized similar to the way that we're baptized, and they were looked upon in the community as a child, no matter their age. Oh, this is huge. What Jesus is saying to this religious giant is you need to become like a baby in the faith. You need to be reborn. You need to learn how to walk. You need to have somebody changing your diapers. You need to learn how to eat. I've got two twins right now. We're going through this, right? You need to teeth. You need to go through all these things. You need to learn how to walk again, and you need to learn how to trust God again. You need to relearn. You need to be totally transformed. He's saying that his way, listen to me, of trying to deal with his underlying sense that things are not enough, that he is not enough, is not going to work. You know, we all have systems. Uh, we'll call it, for, for the sake of our talk, systems of self-redemption, right? Every one of us has these things. Things where we say, you know what, if I'm successful enough, then I'm okay with myself, right? If I'm slim enough, then I'm okay with myself. If I overcome my vices, then... I'm okay with myself. If I have enough acclaim and influence and everyone loves me, then I'll be okay. How is that working? Are you okay? Jesus says this will never work, even if you're counting you're like your little peppercorns, right? They're literally in that level of detail. It's not enough. Why? You may be counting peppercorns, but you're neglecting widows. This is the issue with a moralistic approach to God. Even if we stop sinning, which we don't, right? And we go to church every time the doors are open and we overcome our vices. What's next? We become prideful, right? We become elitist. We all know this to be true. We exalt ourselves over others. This is why so many people have been turned off by church. It's the holier-than-thou situation, right? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? They're holier-than-thou. They're prideful, right? They're part of the God squad, right? They think they're better than us. They've forgotten where they came from. I bet you even had names come to your mind. See, even some of you guys, you're judgmental. Don't we know this to be true? Here's what Jesus is saying. Our frameworks for salvation, moralism, right, right living, moral relativism, which is we do whatever we want, they don't work. Moral relativism, it'll never bring you satisfaction. Come on, let's be honest. I tried to find soul satisfaction through drugs, through alcohol, through relationships, through all those different types of things, and it felt good for a little bit, but it always left me empty. What about moralism? It's not enough. Our righteousness is never enough. Our consciences speak against us. We know, even the best of us, listen, some of you are amazing people, but something within you says, there's something missing. We need something different. 
Here's the offer on the table at Easter. He's not saying that your life will give you entry into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying my life will give you entry. My life will let you in. He dies so that death might die in us. It may no longer have power over us. He's saying these systems of self-redemption, listen to me, they are tools of dead men. They're not tools of resurrected men. And, and here's my fear as a pastor. This is coming into this weekend, what I've been praying for you all week. Our team has been praying for you. Some of you guys are here to celebrate a resurrection that you have no part in, but you don't know it. This is our cultural bias. You might be like, you know, I'm going to heaven one day when I die, but I have no relationship with Jesus. I was talking to Fitz before church, and he said, you know what the number one indicator of success in the classroom is? He says, it's not ACT scores, it's not SAT scores, it's not where somebody grows up, it's relationship with the teacher. If someone has relationship with the teacher, they're more likely to succeed in the classroom. Y'all, what Jesus offers his mode of transportation is a relationship with him. The Bible says he's the author of life, that he breathed, and everything came into being. He spoke, and the world came to be. And this is the offer that we can have relationship with Jesus, the one who created us, that we can live with him, that we can walk with him, and we can learn how he lived, and it can absolutely transform our lives. That's the offer. Listen, there can be no resurrection without crucifixion. The offer of Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you absolutely everything. He told his disciples, he said, take up your cross and follow me. What is he saying? Die, right? Okay, let's think of a cross. It was an execution tool. He's saying like sit in an electric chair, right? This was the state's favorite form of execution and follow me. And his disciples are like, wait, what? But he says, if you join me in death, you'll join me in life. What am I talking about? Death to our ways, death to our ways of doing things. Let's talk resurrection. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you'll find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Translation, look to yourself, and you'll find death. But look to me, and you'll find true life. Lastly, the gift. So we looked at the man, we looked at the offer. Let's look at the gift. The gift is his life for ours. John 3, 12 through 15. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And this part's a little bizarre. We're going to unpack this. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole, what? <laughs> In the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What the heck, Jesus? <laughs> Once again, snakes and Moses, strange move, okay? What are you saying? In, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 21, the Israelite people were being bitten by poisonous snakes and they were dying. 
It was wrecking them. There were snakes all over the place, right? It's like my absolute worst nightmare. It was wild. They had rebelled against God. And what was their solution? God said, if you acknowledge your sin, and if you pray and trust me, I'll come and I'll heal the land, I'll drive out the snakes, and you'll have life. After this, Moses took one of the snakes and he raised it up on a, snick, on a stick, and the thing that was killing them was killed, and it was lifted up. Yo, this is what Jesus did on Friday. He became what is killing us. Think about this. All of your rage, all of your pride, all of your lust, all of your addictions, all of your selfishness, it was placed on Jesus, the one who'd had perfect relationship with God from the beginning of time. It was placed on him. God looked away, and he was destroyed. He was utterly destroyed. So that in him, we would not be destroyed, but we'd have full access to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That means when God looks on you and you're in Jesus, he doesn't see your failure, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see all those issues, he sees the perfect sacrifice of his son Jesus. Yo, when we hear that we have to come and die, a lot of us were like, that sounds judgmental. The things that are killing you come and die, and we receive the grace and the love of Jesus. Yo, that's the good news of the gospel. This is the gift of God, and this is the offer on the table. God loves you that much. Listen, some of you are cool, right? I look at you, and you're like, you're cool, like, cool guy. God loved you before you were cool. Some of you guys, you're successful. God loved you far before you were successful. Some of you guys are total failures. <laughs> you are, you know it. God loves you right now, just as you are. He chose you, he wants you, he wants relationship with you, he wants to restore you, and he wants to turn you and build you into all you could be, all the potential he put inside of you. That's the gospel. All we have to do, how easy is this? Let's be honest, it's easy and it's hard at the same time. Acknowledge our sinfulness. Acknowledge our way is not working. Cry out to him, pray to him, and accept him and start to walk with him. The author of life wants to walk with us. The way, the truth, and the life chose us. And N.T. Wright says it this way. This is powerful. He says, death is the last weapon of a tyrant. If you no longer fear death, what can anything in this world hold against you? If you understand that through Jesus, you have life here on this earth, you have hope for the future, woo! If we got that as the people of God, resurrection doesn't make a covenant with death, it overthrows it. That's what Easter is all about. So where do you find yourself this morning? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in moralism? your own good behavior, like you're killing yourself to prove yourself to God and to others that you're enough. You can rest in the grace and the love of Jesus. Maybe you're in this place where you didn't even realize it, but you're living in moral relativism. And you're saying, I can live however I want. And eventually, you know, I, I prayed a prayer when I was 13 and I'm gonna go to heaven. 
God has so much more for you. He wants to know you today. He wants to walk with you today. And he wants to help you find freedom from the things you're battling. Amen. Here's the invitation. Trust him. Lean into him. Trust his love. And I promise you, you will have trouble in this life. But you won't go through it alone. He will build you up. He will make you strong. When you face issues, we said this on Friday, he makes us anti-fragile. Okay, everybody say anti-fragile. What does that mean? That means when things come against you, you're not just resilient and survive, but in Jesus, you actually get stronger through suffering. Trust him. Some of you guys, you need to trust him for the first time. You've never trusted Jesus. Right now, God's starting to well up faith in your heart. You're starting to perceive the kingdom of God. You know, this doesn't happen through a prayer. This happens through faith. God is restoring you, and now you get to step forward in his love. Some of you guys, you need to trust him again. Maybe you've fallen away from God. Maybe 10 years ago, maybe three years ago, maybe two years ago. You used to be full of faith. Now you're full of fear and anxiety. Y'all, in a moment, turn back to Jesus. Trust in him. Let go and find life. We can trust him again. So I'm gonna close with two questions. What's God speaking to you? Just take a moment right where you're at. What's God speaking to you? And if you hear him speaking, what are you gonna do about it? What's that next step? Maybe it's talking to somebody. Maybe it's letting somebody else in. Maybe it's just saying, God, I'm gonna give you this thing. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your gospel, for your word. God, we thank you that you are good. God, that you have a plan for us. God, we thank you that when we were far from you, you chose us. If you're in a place right now where, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but you're in a place right now where you just wanna trust him. I just want you to hold your hands out right in front of you. I want to pray over you. Just right out in front of you. Just, just right there. I'm going to trust him again or trust him for the first time. God, I thank you that when we turn to you, God, when we put our trust in you, when we perceive the kingdom, God, you rush in. And God, I pray that you'd rush in right now and fill us with faith and with hope and with love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. I pray that this message that you just listened to helps you and assists you in your journey with Jesus. And if you want to get connected in our church, follow us on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock.